0: The Crimson Tide play here. Tune in every game for Alabama football right here.
1: On WKOM 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Big Yellow School Bus and here's your host Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools.
2: Welcome to the Big Yellow School Bus, Murray County Public Schools talk radio show and podcast on 101.7 FM WKOM, brought to you in partnership with many great different sponsors in our county, and especially big shout out and thank you to Caledonian Financial for everything they do in this community and for supporting the Big Yellow School Bus. On this edition of the Big Yellow School Bus, we're going to get a little bit into the history lesson. I have with me a very special guest and a great friend of mine, Miss Sheila Hickman. Welcome, Sheila.
3: Thank you so much for having me,
2: Sheila. It is always an honor to have you on the show, and and, and just to know that you're going to be here talking about history it gets me excited because I can sit back and listen and learn myself. And I really enjoy learning. Um, I think you and I sat one day at a Kiwanis yard sale and talked for a good hour. Yes. And there was a range of different topics, and it was just so much fun. Um, so I'm looking forward to this show, but I'd like to talk a little bit about some upcoming events in the community, if that's okay.
3: Oh, that's good. Let's do that.
2: All right. And I know you're a supporter of this. Um We have, I'm associated with uh, Blood Assurance, which is uh, Columbia, Murray County's uh, local blood bank um, that supplies all the blood products for Murray Regional, Williamson Medical, now branched out into the Nashville uh, market. Um, We're having a James Patterson Foundation for Veterans blood drive. This is a week-long event, folks. This starts on Monday, November 7th at the Donor Center in Neely's Mill. It'll be Monday, November 7th, Tuesday, November 8th, Wednesday, November 9th, all three of these days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, at the Neely's Mill Donor Center from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. On Wednesday, it's going to be a double capacity because they're going to do the donor center and a blood mobile. So, folks, there's a lot of opportunity to walk in or schedule an appointment through bloodassurance.org. And then on Thursday, they'll have a special on location at the Memorial Building from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. for people to sign up and donate or walk in and donate. On Friday, November 11th on Veterans Day at the Memorial Building, there'll be a combined Kiwanis and Rotary meeting from 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. for people to donate. You can sign up at bloodassurance.org. And then on Saturday, November 12th, I'm really excited about this one because this is an event that everybody in the community that lives has lived here for a while knows about. The Rotary Pancake Breakfast is taking place, and we will have a blood mobile on location for this event where you can do walk-ins and donate blood to help out the James Patterson Foundation for Veterans. If you are from this area or not, James Patterson was an icon in the community he was the Veteran Administrator. He, he left us in 2019. He was a good friend to all, and he was much loved. And his foundation does so much good for our community. Um, on top of being able to save lives through this, this uh, Foundation for Veterans Blood Drive, there's also going to be monetary. Um, Rotary Breakfast will donate $10 For every donor up to 100 donors, and Blood Assurance will donate $10 for every donor up to 100 donors. So that's $20 per donation for up to 100 donors for a max donation of $2,000 available to the James Patterson Foundation. So folks, if you're listening to this, this broadcast is airing on November 3rd, 2022. This is Wednesday. There's a Veterans Blood Drive taking place all week next week at Blood Assurance in Neely's Mill, and then on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at the Memorial Building, downtown Columbia. Come on out, help save some lives, and help support a great cause, and help support our veterans, and thank you to all you veterans out there for everything you do. Thanks, Sheila, for letting me get that plug in there for blood assurance. I know you're a supporter also.
3: Oh, Mr. Patterson was without equal in this community. He was a rallying point for the veterans. He was very interested in their welfare. And he was the best spokesman. I don't know who their spokesman is now, but I'm sure it's a capable person. But uh, Mr. Patterson was one of those unique individuals who is so interested in making the world a better place.
2: He was. He really was. And he was passionate about helping and making a difference and helping save lives through donating um, you know, it's so easy to do. And he was right there. I have videos from him like before he passed, I think, 2012, 2016, 2017, something like that. And I'll, I'll see about getting um, Blood Assurance to share them on their Facebook page because oh, that would be good. these are great memories of a great man and what he stood for and how important these things were to him. All right, so that's it on our promotional part of the show. Let's, let's, um, let's learn a little bit about my guest, Miss Sheila Hickman. Sheila, you were a teacher, correct? For 33 years. 33-year 33 career as a teacher, and you taught English and literature.
3: I, taught, I, I graduated from Central High School in 1965. I went to David Lipscomb, graduated from there, came right back to my high school and went to work. And I stayed there twenty-eight years, and I was so happy to have a job there. Mr. Hardison, Mr. Harold Hardison, who had been my principal, hired me. Mr. E. A. Cox, who had been superintendent since I was in the fifth grade, hired me, and so I went to work. And I was so happy; I would have worked for nothing that year. I was <laughs> I was beyond happy. Now I don't know that I taught him anything, but I I had a, a Great experience there. And, and I there's a great strength in people coming back to teach at their alma mater. I had somebody one time tell me that the, the main thing that was wrong with Central High School was that too many of us went to school there. And I said, well, do you want me to whip you now or would you wait till <laughs> later? And he never did answer me. He was a real peel anyway. But um, I taught there until Mr. Hickman became principal, and I had to leave because of the nepotism policy. So I went to uh, I went to Spring Hill for two weeks, and I I can't even tell you how, what what a comparison, what a difference there is between what I knew as the English department at Central High School and what I went to it spring hill and i'm sorry if i hurt anybody's feelings but that's just the way it was and i thought i'm gonna die i'm gonna die Uh i I left one day i was so aggravated that i got in the car and went home because i just live up the way from spring hill and sarah elizabeth said mama get in that car and go back to school so i did and i really was i was just at the point of collapse and um they were opening Cox Middle School and one day Mary Real, who was our first principal, called and said Don't don't act as if you know who I am, just talk. And she said On Tuesday you're coming to EA Cox. I said Well thank you for calling and she said Um oh, we will see you a Tuesday morning. And I said, well, I will see you later then. Thank you very much. And I went on back upstairs. <laughs> she played the game well. I went on back upstairs where it was at least 100 degrees. That building was miserably hot. And I got up there, and I sat down, and I could not figure out why I was going to her on Tuesday because school starts on Monday. And after I sat there while I realized Monday was Labor Day, <laughs> so I went to Cox and we had a grand old time, and I was the oldest person in that building. That all those sweet young teachers were so kind to this old woman. And and middle school is a very difficult age. I don't know who came up with middle school, but he probably should have been thinking of something else at that time. It is a strange configuration of children mm-hmm. who are uh, maturing but not maturing, who are still— The transition. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a terrible, terrible time for them. And I think there must be some kind of special training people who teach middle school ought to to have. But anyway, I stayed there five years. um, During that time, I had breast cancer. I got over that, went back to school. I took off a semester, went back to school. had to wear a hat because I had no hair. And I stayed um, two more years. And I decided one day... I believe it's time for me to go home. And so I went down to the central office, and I filled out the paperwork. And I wish I could remember what day it was, but I can't remember. But I would not take... I think the greatest honor I had was teaching all those children. And now even those little children that I taught at Cox, some of them who were such a pill, there's one of them, and I won't tell that person's name, but she was such a pill that when she went off to college, she wrote me a letter of apology. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And now she's teaching in Murray County. Uh So, I, you know, I see the, And another one, um, well, Brenda Hogan's son was my student at Cox, and now he's a member of the bar. So it, the, one of the greatest things about having taught for so long is seeing all these children who do good things and who stay here, I know there's a big wide world out there, but I like it when they stay here Mm -hmm. and they try to make things better.
2: They may go off to school, but they ultimately come back and and find a place here to work and a a career at home and maybe even in education.
3: Yes, and that's very rewarding to me.
2: And you mentioned um, that you had to leave Central High School. That was because your husband, Mr. Hickman, became became the principal. principal at Central High School, and he reigned there for quite a long time, right?
3: Yeah, like uh, 12 years. Okay. That may not be right. I may have my numbers wrong, but he stayed a good long while.
1: At, and at he was
3: happier than happy because that was his school, too. And there's something built into people when when you go back to the alma mater.
2: Mm-hmm. Mr. Hickman also went on to become a superintendent of Murray County Public Schools.
3: Yes. And, and he loved that, too. And one reason he was so successful— is that he started out in Hampshire, the old Hampshire, the one that burned down. He drove the school bus. He, he built the fire in the Stoker. He taught about six different subjects. He coached girls and boys basketball, and he may have done something else. So he done everything you could do in a school. Mm-hmm. He just done, then he went to Mount Pleasant where he coached some. Then he went to Whitthorne. Then they moved Whitthorn down. They moved the ninth grade from Whitthorn without adding a single brick to our building. They brought those four or five hundred, whatever it was, children down there to us, and we just squashed them in and kept going. Yeah but uh he was he probably was as well suited for the superintendent's job as anybody could possibly be because he'd just done everything.
2: Right. Well, what a great um legacy to have as, you know in your family being teachers, um educators, administrators and all that. Thank you um, for sharing that little bit about yourself. I'm not sure if the listening audience knew the depth of what you had done here in this community. And thank you for being a teacher for so many years. Well, I loved it. And let's talk about, you you wanted to come to the show today and you wanted to talk about some history and share some historical things about our school district.
3: Well, I am very concerned that we are losing the background and the history of our community because nobody's bothering to write it down.
2: Yeah, you got to document
3: it. Yeah, it's just not not recorded as it should be. And I'm writing this little column for the Herald now, and that's one thing I've aimed to do with that is let's put it in writing somewhere, so maybe sometime a hundred years from now, somebody will say, "Wonder what what person wrote this." And, and-,
2: and if you look back on it, the the publications like local newspapers become a part of our history. Yeah and you can always go back and look at the archives and you can bring up things that from years past they they keep a very good archive in and, and and all kinds of things i think every newspaper is
1: archived
3: yes and now you can go to the library of congress and a great many newspapers are digitized and i yeah. don't know the the span of dates on that but we we are losing our grasp on what we consider a traditional newspaper right. because we've got so many other sources of information. I'll admit,
2: I, I, I get the Daily Herald, but I get it digitally.
3: I get it on the phone.
2: Yeah, and and so I can read it every day on my computer or on my yeah. phone, and that seems to work best for me.
3: That works well for me too.
2: And some people still like that paper.
3: Oh, I like to hold the paper. Yeah. I like holding the book.
2: <laughs> I was watching Del Kennedy this morning. In fact, on his show, and he was reading the newspaper while he was on the uh, yeah. on the air, and so he relies on heavily on the print newspaper. But for me, that digital version really works well.
3: Well, I like I like the rattle of the paper, but it seems to be just easier to have it on the telephone.
2: Yeah, it's sure and does. and
3: besides that, it gotten to the point where we couldn't get it delivered. I think the newspapers in the same dilemma as the post office. Yeah. we don't get we don't get mail regularly yeah. either.
2: All right. So, what's the first thing you wanted to bring up and share with our listeners in some history and American okay,
3: public the, schools? Um, in in two thousand eight. My dear friend Alice Algood and the Historical Society here decided they would make a collection of the drawings of Mildred Hartsfield. And some of you probably have these hanging on the wall. They're very special pictures. And she did wonderful illustrations of county landmarks. And, and I feel free to use this because I helped write part of you are it. You were a contributor. I was. Well, I, Sarah Elizabeth and I, I love to do research. At the archives, you can go down to the archives. My problem with going down there is I, I am easily diverted. <laughs> you
2: spend all day?
3: <laughs> yeah, I, well, I will start on one thing and then I'll think, oh, that made me think, and then I looked that up. I have to be very disciplined to go down Mr. there. Mr. Tom
2: Price gave me a tour recently of oh, there. Um, oh, We found a, a book. At, um, it was in a closet somewhere at central office. Yeah. And it was a very old history of Murray County Public Schools. Yeah. And he was so excited to receive that. Mr. Hickman had, had decided... To preserve it by giving it to the archives. Yes. yes. And so we delivered it down there, and I I talked with Mr. Price, and he said, have you ever been in here? I said, no. And so he gave me like a a behind-the-scenes tour of the place. I was just blown away at the size and capacity of the archives.
3: It's amazing. And we can thank Bob Duncan, who passed away a little over a year ago now, maybe two years, who who was instrumental in getting that. And by the way, if you're listening, if you've got something that you think has no value and it's old, take it down there.
2: Yeah, and absolutely. And they, they
3: can decide whether it's worth preservation or not. But uh, Tom, we are so fortunate to have Tom Price and those ladies down there, Michelle and those ladies are just, Wonderful, and, yeah. and they always have to show me how to use how to use the machine there to read the microfilm. I'm a slow learner on that kind of thing.
2: That's kind of interesting technology. That microfilm it is.
3: Well, I always want to go backwards. But <laughs> but uh, among, among the the uh, the illustrations in in this Mildred Hartsfield collection are pictures of many of our schools and and I I'm going to do several of those and talk about them a little bit. But All right. The first one I and well on Carter Street is Riverside Elementary School. Now this is the second building. The first building was so close to the river that when the river got up, it got in the school building and the teachers that I knew who worked there would have to go back after the flood and pull the dead fish out of the desks wow and the books were all ruined and everything was ruined because you know sometimes we have those powerful floods yeah
2: it seems like yearly we have a, a little yeah. bit of a flood
3: but but the original was built in 1936 it had six classrooms and an auditorium playroom and they added two classrooms in 1950 and a cafeteria and then three additional classrooms in 57, 58, and 68, they added, because school population was going, growing. Originally, 150 students enrolled in the school. And it was built by the WPA, by the Works Progress Administration under Roosevelt. Wow. And the school cost $30,000. See if you can buy anything in Murray County <laughs> for $30,000. A
2: nice used car.
3: Uh, Yes, a nice-used car would (laughs) be about Maybe. (laughs) Its first principal was Gaston Burt, and he was there forever. The school uh, faculty included Lucille Roberts, who taught first and second grades, Edna Cathy, who taught third and fourth grades, and Alma Reed, who taught fifth and sixth grades. Tinka Crozier taught music, and Dorothy Porter taught expression. These early elementary schools had expression where they had people learn to speak properly and to develop speaking skills and to pronounce the words and to do all those things, and I believe you had to pay extra for that. Then the next principal there was Vernon Brooks, and he stayed from 1970 till 1993. Hmm. We have people with long tenures here. That's 23 times. years, yeah. Yes, it is. And then after that, Ken Wiles came, and he retired. He's passed away since then. And now Reggie Holmes, who was my student, is the principal. I love
2: Reggie Holmes. It's it's fine. Sheila, I've got to get, take a break real quick. We're going to come back, and we'll talk a little bit more about Riverside Okay. okay. after a word from our sponsors. So thanks for joining us with Sheila Hickman. We'll be right back.
1: Don't go away. Big Yellow School Bus with your host, Jack Cobb, with Murray County Public Schools. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Hello, WKOM and WKRM listeners. My name is Michael Parks-Lawrence at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC in Columbia, Tennessee. Parks Motor Sales was founded by my grandfather, Robert Parks, and my great-grandfather, Julian Mays, in 1958, over 60 years ago. Being family-owned and operated, we invest in our community. You'll see our support everywhere you go. Schools, sports, band, and even charities. We invest in our community because we live here and we love this community. Come see me and my cousin, Robert Rogers, at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC right off Nashville Highway or visit us at parksmotorsales.com. Three, two, one. Welcome back. You're listening to The Big Yellow School Bus with your host, Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools.
2: Welcome back to The Big Yellow School Bus, Murray County Public Schools talk radio show and podcast. We are here with Miss Sheila Hickman, retired English and literature teacher around the 2002 time period, and we're talking about Some of the history. And Sheila was just sharing before the break about Riverside Elementary School. I believe you were talking about the second building?
3: Yes. They finally, after, just wonder how many dead fish they pulled out of there. And finally, they decided in the early 1980s, they decided maybe we should tear that building down and build a new school. Yeah,
2: and they move
3: it up from the river? There was a, a recreation center there that belonged to the city. It it was kind of a Quonset hut sort of building, and they they tore it down and they moved moved the school up. And I know they are certainly glad that the teachers don't have to worry now about dead fish and yeah. <laughs> and ruined books. That's just one of the treats you have when you're being a teacher. It's just whatever you got to do to get the classroom ready, then you do it. You do. Yeah, that's what you do. Oh, uh, and, and of course we. I, there's not every school is not in here, right? But a great many of them are.
2: Well, tell us another history lesson. And another All right, school. I'm
3: going to talk about MacDowell, which is a long oh. gone, but not forgotten.
2: Gone, but not forgotten. That's that is so true.
3: People, uh, Pete Sloan, my good friend, lives across the street there, and he went to school there, and I think it broke his heart. I'm sure it to did to see it torn down, and I still think they made a mistake, but they didn't ask me. <laughs> there was, how dare they, yeah. i know i could straighten out a lot of things if they just asked me
2: there you go but
3: they they originally there was a building down there about where the hospital is in that general area and there was a storm and it blew away it this was the terrible terrible tornado they had in 1900 and i i'll talk about that sometime if you want to it it is just unbelievable. It blew the cannonballs off the gate at at what is now CA and two by fours were were per, per, per propelled into trees and they lost lots of trees and people died and anyway then they decided that uh that was in nineteen eighty eight when the when the original building was And then in 1921, they decided they'd come a little closer to town. And the the, um, building that we knew was actually built in the 70s. That was the newest building. The older building had, had to be torn down, of course. The school was named for Colonel Edward C. McDowell, who was an attorney and a native of Kentucky, married to Elizabeth Myers, who was the daughter of the Myers who owned Mercer Hall. Now Mercer Hall is that big house that sits right down here on Mercer Court. If you're going down the street here, going down um uh, going down Hampshire going down Trotwood, I'm sorry, it's that big house on the left that sits way back now. It belongs to, to Wally Beasley.
2: But, and are there like some apartment buildings on the, yes, right, yeah, on the road houses, right that goes yeah. through that house? And then yeah, the big house. that's a pretty majestic looking home. Oh,
3: that is a magnificent home. Magnific- and they've
2: actually made it so you can see it by clearing some of the trees yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And, and, if, and now is a good time in the fall when the leaves yeah. have fallen to be able to drive by there and get a good look at that it house.
3: Is, it is so pretty. And so the first building, the first principal at the first building was a lady. Uh, Mr. Tomlinson was the principal for a while, and then Mrs. Tomlinson became the principal. So we are not—none of these ladies who've been principals in recent years were the first because— This was
2: in the 70s?
3: In the 1900s. 1900s? uh Uh-huh. And in in celebration of our centennial under the direction of Henry Martin Mr. Mr. Charles Black was principal there— and then Mr. Pereer, and then I can't go much, much farther than that. But the original school bell was in the yard up there, and they found it, and and uh, it had been in storage, and they found it, and they had this big to-do with a parade and a mule-drawn wagon, and the students were dressed in colonial attire. I'm not sure how that fit in. Oh, it was the Bicentennial. And they had a drum in five-core. I don't know where they got that. But afterward, the bell stood there in the yard. And, of course, there was a great hue and cry about tearing that building down. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that uh, that place would be needed for another school. If we continue to grow as we are growing, if they're going to build 5,000 houses, or we hear different Mm -hmm. numbers, or 15,000 or whatever it is, if every one of those families has one... Our two children, we're in a mess here.
2: Yeah, we're building a new high school, as you Absolutely. know. Absolutely,
3: <clears throat> and, it's, and it's time.
2: And I believe um, Superintendent Ventura made an announcement at the Chamber, um, Spring Hill Chamber, that Spring Hill High School will remain a high school still.
3: Well, that's a good thing, because that might cause another war. People would not be happy if yeah. they took
2: their and, and school away. I'm not certain, but I believe the bell you were referring to at McDowell, that yeah. has been uh, put in um, safe keep.
3: That's good. Because, you know, things have a way of being put up and then nobody knows where we put them. That's probably about what happens at my house most of the time.
0: Yeah, that's me, too, in my I, house.
3: I know I've got one, but I don't know what I did with
0: it. <laughs> Mike, that doesn't happen to you, does it? No, we, we just had this black hole we call a garage. Yeah, yeah. The, the just things disappear into that. The, yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> okay, I'm going to talk about two black schools. Okay. We still have a College Hill school Okay. over there. And, the, and let me
2: back up something real quick. You said when you hired in you had a— Administrator by the name of E. A. Cox, mm-hmm. and we now have a school mm-hmm. that you worked at yes. called E. A. Cox. So that school was named after him, correct?
3: Yes, and he's his whole story too. He In was, itself, I've heard
2: a little bit about oh, this, and I'd love to share a, that. It
3: is a good story, but it'll take a long time to tell that. All right,
2: we'll we'll save that for a later date. Okay,
3: well, College Hill, the present College Hill, is is a resurrected, modernized, much nicer uh, facility. That building had run down. And it was in such bad shape. It was an elementary school for a long time, and then somebody had the wisdom to get it fixed up. And it and it now is used as the alternative school, and maybe for some other purposes. That that's where the school board meets in the basement there.
2: Yep, and it's also used as the. Um... Northfield Academy. Yeah, oh, I forgot about that. And then the teachers for the virtual academy.
3: I forgot about those. Yep, So it's a very very well-used building. But the old college hill was established in 1881, and the first principal was this fellow named Professor Kelly, who had born in Massachusetts. And what brought him here was his father was the pastor of the Mount Lebanon Baptist Church, which is still here. So he he came to Columbia and spent the rest of his life as principal at what was called then Columbia Colored School. Remember, this was a whole different era. Mm -hmm. Educational opportunities for the black children in Columbia were very rare. In fact, education was very rare for anyone. The rich folks could send their children to places like the Athenaeum to school, and then they had what we called what they called poor schools mm-hmm. where just ordinary people could send their children and they might go you know 3 or 4 months a year or they might be a subscription school where the parents would have to pay the teacher or it was just very disorganized there was if, if you were well off you could go to school somewhere if you were just like me out in the farm on the farm somewhere you might get to go to school
2: You know, on that same topic, and not to – don't lose your train of thought, but – I did an interview with Dr. Rose McLean because she oh, was one Rose. of the first African American students at McDowell.
3: The first.
2: And so yeah, she was the first. And so she shared her story by what she knew from her family and everything. It was just a powerful, powerful story. And we managed to get that into the schools through our community newsletter and even into the Daily Herald as yeah. a historical story.
3: Well she Rose is a special person. She was one of my students too, and I love Rose. But at any rate, prior to the Civil War, it was difficult for anybody to go to school, black or white. And finally, after the war, they decided that some civic-minded people decided that they better do something about educating their children. And it was at College Hill that the first African-American students were encouraged to come to school and continue their education. Robert Johnson was a student in the old school at Mount Lebanon Baptist Church. His father, a former slave, Dyer Johnson, had by hard work and persistence purchased his own freedom and his wife's. After finishing their schooling in Columbia, they went to college and came back.
2: Just like you said earlier.
3: That's right. They came back. And in 1890, the city of Columbia elected its first school board and in some ways— we, in some ways, we have not recovered from the, from the Civil War, and that sounds a little silly. But if you think of all the, the things that learning went to a dead stop, civilization was on hold while people were shooting at each other. And we, we lost a big gap of time there when we could have been doing good things.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But we had a city school board at one time, and so they decided that they would name Andrews School, and that's the, we'll talk about that another time if we don't have time today. And it was for white students, and College Hill was for black students. Looking back, it doesn't make much sense, does it? Mm-mm. The first year I taught was the year that they closed Carver Smith. So all those children gave up everything and came to Central High School. And those children, those old federal judges who mandated whatever we were supposed to do, they didn't care anything about the children and that they had lost a great deal of their identity and all the things they had worked for. They didn't care anything about that. They just laid down the law. And Mr. Hardison, who was my principal, carried a copy of that desegregation order in his pocket at all times because he did not know when he would be challenged on him,
2: right
3: So those children came to us from from what became Carver Smith, and that's another story, and gave up their band and their football team and their everything else and the ones who would be valedictorian and the ones who were in the honor society all that was just it just went away. Looking back, I think that's one of the most awful things that ever happened here and and if somebody had had any fortitude, we would have split this town down the middle and made two high schools. But in those days, that would have probably caused another war. But I loved those first children that I taught. I had never gone to school with black children. I, went, I knew one black person at David Lipscomb. And so it was a great culture shock kind of for me, and it was for them too. But those first black children that I taught, I see all the time. And they'll say, Miss Hickman, is that you? And they say, you look just the same, isn't that sweet? (laughs) I wouldn't tell such a feel. But anyway, they say, you hadn't changed one bit. And when all this business came up about this critical race theory, which I do not understand even now after I've read about it, I have said to several of those black children, did I ever say anything out of order to you or did I make you uncomfortable? about anything racial. And to a person they have said no. I don't believe that teachers have to be warned about some kind of critical race theory. If you're in teaching, you're in it for the whole group. You're not in it for the ones who are the sweetest or the smartest or the best, everything. You're in it for the whole group. Mm-hmm. And I, I have made I really got worried about that after that all that mess came up and I thought, oh, Am I guilty of such a thing? but I don't think I was because I think I just enjoyed the children and i and even now i we have so much fun. I had so much fun teaching it was just outrageous. We had a lot of fun, and then we get down to business. I don't know that they can do that now I, I they have too much business to get down to that they don't have the same opportunities we had to just do. Sometimes so, silly things.
2: So you're saying <clears throat> when integration took place, you were learning, but it, to you it didn't matter. It didn't make because work. these were, were students that you knew that that your passion was to teach them.
3: Oh yes, and I love them. I just loved all, all those first children, I taught are retired now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll say, what are you doing now? And they'll say, oh, Miss Ingman, I've been retired 10 years. <laughs> you know,
2: it, it is quite interesting. I belong to Kiwanis, and so does Sheila. And we'll be sitting there, and somebody will talk about something, and they'll bring up Sheila's name, and they'll say, well, and Sheila was my English teacher. Yeah, And so you have a lot of people that you still are associated with in the community and different organizations that you may have taught them in their high school days. And you're now part of their um, organizations in the community. So I think that's pretty commendable. It is. It cool. is.
3: Well, the best I can figure, I taught about 3,000 children. And, that, and most all of them have turned out pretty well. Some of them hit bumps in the road and have done better, but for the most part, our children turn out pretty well. And I, I will say that, despite test scores or any other kind of measurement that the state or the may come up with, they do not measure a child's potential. And one test score on one day does not make any difference in a child's life if he wants to be successful.
0: Mike, how long we got before break? Uh, About uh, four minutes.
2: All right. Let me ask you a question before we go to the break. And and the show is 20 minutes, 20 minutes, and then 10. So to our listening audience, can you express to them the importance of teaching and why we need these teachers and these passionate people and and why you did what you did and how important it is nowadays to have these people now? Because recruitment is something big right now, and and it's happening, and we're doing a better job than ever with recruitment and retention um, at our district, and I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, the importance of being teacher, being a teacher, and your love and your passion for the job.
3: Well, when uh, somehow or another, I decided that the way I could contribute the best to the world, my best to the world was to be a teacher. When I was in the eighth grade, I had this teacher at Whitthorne His name is Porter King, Dr. Porter King. He is now, and and he's in the community. He uh, he was the most innovative, wonderful. He could just he could just make the most dull lesson just come alive. And when he, uh, that's
2: my favorite pastor too. When they can make a, a, a sermon come alive and oh, keep me awake, he he he's
3: just <laughs> I I can't tell you what an influence he has been on my life. And he was so forward thinking. The day that John F. Kennedy was sworn in as president. Porter King called down to Dalton's furniture store. Linda Dalton was in our class. And Linda Dalton's daddy, Jimmy Dalton, brought us this little black-and-white television up to Whitthorn, in the old, old Whitthorn. And we watched President Kennedy being sworn in and heard Robert Frost recite The Gift Outright. And, and I bet you we were the only children in Murray County that got to do that.
2: That's awesome.
3: He was so far ahead in thinking and so creative. He was just so much fun. I had him for, in those days, we had what we called language arts. We had for two hours. You had a two-hour block. Part of it was supposed to be grammar and part of it was literature, and it was he was kind of mixed up, but and I also had him for math, and I just want him talk about math. But uh, he was just way ahead of the curve as far as teaching was was concerned. And I thought, well, shoot, I can do that. And then I got to high school and I had wonderful, wonderful high school teachers. I had um, in the 10th grade, I had uh, Miss Lida Curley. And she was a lady, if there ever was one. She looked every inch a teacher and professional. And then these are my English teachers. And then 11th grade, I had Miss Nadie Ladd, who had come to us from Santa Fe. And she also was my typing teacher when I was a senior. And I would never have survived if I hadn't had Miss Nadie for typing. And then in the 12th grade... I had Miss Virginia Graham, who was an institution unto herself. She had taught generations of people at Central High School. Her father at one time was the director of schools, Professor John Graham. And she was, she was just like me. She was just eating up with school. And I had so much background from having her for British literature that when I got to college, it was just a snap. And she used to say, "I didn't go to Vanderbilt. I did Vanderbilt for graduate school." But she used to say, "Okay." All right, so I'm
2: gonna I'm gonna cut you off there because right. I've got to get a word from our sponsors. But this is fantastic. The question was importance of teaching, and you are just belting out all these amazing teachers in your life. We'll be back with Ms. Sheila Hickman, retired school teacher, at Murray County Public Schools, after a word from our sponsors.
1: Don't go away. Big Yellow School Bus with your host, Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors.
3: Do you have your favorite gemstone? I bet you do. Hello, this is Terry Tillis from Tillis Jewelry. There is nothing like the beautiful shades of blue, green, red, of sapphire, emeralds, and rubies. At Tillis Jewelry, we have a wonderful selection all ready for you to stop by and put on your Christmas wish list. You can pick from our vintage, modern, or custom collection. Serving you at two locations, Tillis Jewelry, Columbia, and Lewisburg. Owned and operated by Rick, custom designer, Terry, registered gemologist. Assuring you the best jewelry value and expert services.
0: Hi folks, this is Drake Colley. Join me and Barry Duke for the Frontport Sports High School Game of the Week. Brought to you by 101.7 WKOM-FM, Murray County Schools, and Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram and Fiat. Now pregame begins at 5.30 with the complete game broadcast to follow at 7 with Columbia's own Barry Duke and Coach Mike in the booth. Do not miss it.
4: Hey, this is George Plaster, and for the very best in sports, keep your dial on 1017-FM-WKOM.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to the Big Yellow School Bus with your host, Jack Cobb, with Murray County Public Schools.
2: Welcome back to the Big Yellow School Bus, Murray County Public Schools' talk radio show and podcast. Today here with Ms. Sheila Hickman, retired English and literature teacher. And before the break, I asked Ms. Sheila about the importance of teaching and how important it was to her. And Sheila, I loved where you went with it because you started talking about all the people and all the teachers that you could remember that were so important to you. So I'll continue with that question as we continue this show, the importance of teaching and how important it is in the new age right now
3: some uh, i will i'll finish talking about miss graham then i won't talk about these young teachers a little bit miss graham had uh, graduated from cullioca uh she went to randolph macon in virginia and she came back to teach at central and her daddy's told her that that was quite a deal that you could get a job at central high school and she was she was there for i guess 40 years i need to check on that but she gave us such a background in British literature and nearly worked us to death. And part of her value was that she kept us working. She would give out these long eleven by fourteen sheets of questions. If we if we were reading if we were doing the Victorian era, she'd give out one or two, and then she'd give out three or four, and then she'd say and only two of these are due tomorrow. And, <laughs> but she kept us kept us so busy. If my
2: teachers would have done that, I'd have fainted.
3: <laughs> well, I have notebooks. I have all the questions on Hamlet and on Macbeth and on all the great periods in literature. And she just she just worked us hard. I don't I think, think you appreciated that. Oh yes. I don't think the children we have now are geared to that.
2: Like no, it's a that, different it's, if it's a, a different, different world. It's yeah. a
3: different world. everything is so different. But for that time, she could not have done a better job of getting us ready for college. she and in addition to that. Every six weeks, we read a book. We read Tale of Two Cities. We read Pride and Prejudice. We read one about uh, the first Queen Elizabeth. We read six outside books Wow! aside from all that other. And nobody ever said, well, Miss Graham, I wish you'd just slow down a little. This is too much. (laughs) Because we wanted a large part of the baby boomers' philosophy is we wanted to be successful. That more uh, There were about 300 in my graduating class, and more of us became teachers than anything else. We've got uh, doctors and lawyers. We've even got a Catholic sister. We've got a lady Methodist preacher. But a great many of us in, in the class of 1965 became teachers. Now, these people who are being taught today, have come up under entirely different circumstances. If you gave them a long sheet of questions to uh, answer or just two of those long sheets by tomorrow, you'd probably have an uprising. The approach to children, and this was happening even when I was at, at Cox, the approach to children has to be in tune with what they're immersed in. I don't think I could handle the cell phones in the classroom I think I could manage with the computer business, but I do not think I could compete with a cell phone because when I start talking, I want folks to be listening.
0: 100%. Some some of us were fighting that war even up to about two years ago. Yeah.
3: I I just, I might just act ugly about a cell phone, but the whole idea of moving on toward from that little black and white television that Porter had there Mm -hmm. to what we have now is a huge giant Step. It's just, I know that's redundant, but it is just a great change in what is available to these children. And these children, I say this with Ellie Grace, these children have shorter attention spans because things have been given to them in little doses. Mm-hmm. And they don't know somehow or another. I guess as they mature, they will. But it's hard for them to put things together. They have little spots of this and little spots of that. And I think part of that is because of the computer. Now, the computer is a wonderful resource. There's just no doubt about it. But the idea that you must tune your teaching mind to what is going to capture their interest. But I would also tell the young teachers... Don't be so chained to whatever the state is putting out that you can't have fun, that you can't make your lessons relevant. At the same time, you can make them enjoyable. And that's a hard job. Teaching is a hard job. If you do your background work in preparation for teaching the next day, you're working as hard as your students. I've read the Scarlet Letter for Lord knows how many years I know more about the Scarlet Letter than Hawthorne ever dreamed of, and I read it every night. If we had chapter four, I read chapter four, I read it every night. I read my lesson before I went to school, and preparation will save a great many teachers who are struggling now.
2: So passion. Yes. Love for teaching, um, adaptability.: Yes, and having fun yeah these are oh, some I, of the things that i I see in my own daughter, who's a teacher yes, she's very good at this, and this I'm is sure what she, is. she loves and she has a passion for
0: and jack i would, I would like to to add I wish the administrators you know and they're under a lot of pressure oh I, I yes, mean, but i wish the administrators would be able to allow the teachers that that fun element uh, yeah that you know like you said, they're being pushed so hard to get so yeah. many things in that that a a, a break, a game, yeah. a, a movie or something like that is considered a waste is. of time now. Oh, yes. And and it's not. It's not really a waste it, of
2: it time. It is okay, especially at the younger ages. I think oh, it's yes. a key to have these younger students having fun while learning. Absolutely. You're going to absorb it and you're going to remember it a whole lot yep. more if it was a fun adventure. Well, Miss Sheila, um, we are definitely going to have you on here for part two, three, four, and five <laughs> coming up soon, and I say that with a lot of passion because I really enjoy sharing with the listening audience some of the the some of what you've lived through, some of what you have to share, and some of the things you bring to the table here, and it's so appreciated. And I really appreciate you coming on the show today. But um, it's time to transition into our shout-outs. It's one of our favorite things we like to do on the Big Yellow School Bus. So if you listen throughout the entire show, at the end, you're going to hear us do a little shout-out. And a shout-out can be to anybody that we feel we want to shout-out to. So with that said, you are first on the shout-outs, Ms. Sheila.
3: Well, this is very selfish of me. But I will give a shout-out to my daughter, Sarah Elizabeth Hickman-McLeod. Love, Sarah. She is a historic preservationist for the South Central Development District. That doesn't mean she just saves old buildings. She works on that, too, but they work for all these mid-south counties. But if you will look as you go down the road here on the uh, boxes that contain the utility services, you will now see these lovely pictures that cover that. I've seen those. those. She wrote the grant for that.
2: Ah, I love it, love it. You couldn't have a better shout out. Sarah Elizabeth is an amazing person. She was part of the best class ever of Leadership Murray <laughs> class of 2020. Um, I, we, you know, I'm compelled to say that because it was a, an interesting class because we were the first ones in Leadership Murray to have been dealt a blow like COVID absolutely during our tenure, and we still proceeded to move forward.
0: All right, great shout out. Thank you, Sheila, Coach. I want to give a shout out uh, to to a friend of the station here, Tom Price. He's the chief oh, archivist yes. at the Murray County Archives building. Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge and uh, and does a super super job of taking history and applying it to or connecting it to our daily lives now. Mm-hmm. And uh, just does it. Wouldn't it be great job. to have
2: Tom and Sheila and uh, Sarah all on the same show? We'd it, probably need it, about it, four or
0: five hours. I was going to say we would be one of those uh, one of those marathons. So. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What a great shout-out. Tom's a great person. He's also the news um, personality for radio stations here, KOM and KRM. Um, Great shout-out, Coach. My shout-out is going to be to – and this one's kind of off-topic, but it has to do with education. I want to shout-out a gentleman by the name of Mr. Eddie Collier. Mr. Eddie Collier is in the ninth year of giving away a vehicle free of charge to a high school senior. Thank you, Mr. Eddie Collier, Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. We appreciate
0: you. I wish uh, I'd wish had an incentive like that. Me too. <laughs> well,
2: that's it for this edition of the Big Yellow School Bus. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you for Thank you, Mike. Me. And we will catch you again next week, next Wednesday, on the Big Yellow School
1: Bus. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Yellow School Bus with your host, Jack Cobb, with Murray County Public Schools. Hop on the Big Yellow School Bus every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m right here on WKOM 101.7 FM.